Welcome to the Human Being to Wellbeing Show with Dr. Bernard J. Fragameni. I'm here to help you learn how to turn your haphazard lifestyle into an on-purpose health style and to permanently transform your life from just a human being kind of bumping along without any real plan to somebody that has a plan and is now learning all things necessary to permanently live as what we call a well-being. Let's get started with today's topic. Hey guys, Dr. Bernard Fragameni of the Human Being to Wellbeing podcast and the Human Being to Wellbeing companies. Today on our podcast, we've got a very special guest, Mr. Karan Krishnan. Uh, Karan is the chief scientific officer and the co-founder of Microbiome Labs. He's got almost two decades worth of experience in the dietary supplement and nutrition fields as a research microbiologist. Early on in his career, Karan spent time at the University of Iowa, where he worked in molecular medicine and microbiology in a research capacity. He forged out on his own as a founder of a clinical research company that oversaw and designed dozens of human clinical trials in the human nutrition field. He was also the co-founder of New Science Trading LLC, which is a nutritional technology development and research company. And he is a frequently sought after lecturer. If you go to any of these medical conferences or you Google microbiome and the effect on human health, you're going to find Karan kind of front and center as a, a lecturer and an expert in the field. He's overseeing currently 16 different clinical studies uh, at Microbiome Labs, and he is on the advisory board of seven other companies in the industry. So when I say we've got a world-renowned expert in this field, we're not saying that lightly. Sit back, relax, grab a pen, a piece of paper, your favorite beverage. I think you're gonna learn something. Hey, I wanted to jump on right before you go to the recording with myself and Karan Krishnan uh, and talk with you a little bit about some of the content that you're going to be listening to inside here that I hope you find as fascinating as we did discussing it for you and putting the recording down. Uh, you're going to hear us speaking specifically about the microbiome, not just of human beings, but the microbiome and the relationship that we have with the microbiome of Mother Earth. Now, look, we don't want to seem like we're talking all esoteric. This is a real thing that's going on. Uh, we have polluted, we have treated our soils uh, with harsh chemicals uh, in the name of better production from a farming perspective. That has in turn decreased the nutrient content in many plants that both we ingest or animals that you eat if you eat animals that they ingest. Uh, we've directly gotten these things into our body, uh, whether it's from the air that we breathe or the soil that we walk on or the water that we're drinking. We're anesthetizing our water with chlorine. We've taken most of the mineral content out of, of most public drinking water systems. And we are really doing a lot of damage to anything that goes in, around, or on us with other products that we might use. So you're going to hear us talking specifically about this. You're going to hear us make some references uh, to the current pandemic we're going through. Uh, there are many doctors, and there is a, a leading group of people out there that are starting to talk about this pandemic uh, as the means of the virome, which is part of the microbiome, uh, giving us some sort of a genetic update. Uh, is it a survival event? Uh, is it an update for something else that's going to be coming worse down the road? The fact is, we're not saying it's a selection event. What we're saying is, we do have this relationship with the microbiome. It's not going to change. It's always going to be there. We are truly symbiotes. Uh, we have more cells. We have more DNA that are not human uh, in us than we do human DNA. So I hope you give this a listen and maybe a new thought uh, evolves in the way that you look at your relationship, not just with Mother Earth's microbiome, but with your own microbiome. 
We're going to talk a lot about pathophysiology of certain disease states. We're even going to talk about specific bugs that are giving you predisposition to specific things like type 2 diabetes. So give it a listen. We hope you enjoy. We enjoyed putting it together. We're going to have more to come. We have a full program that's going to be coming out at the end of the fall, uh, near the end of the year. Thanks and enjoy. So, Kram, welcome. I'm glad to have you. I'm glad you're able to make time today to be on uh, with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Wonderful. So let's, let's dive right into it. I know we both kind of have busy schedules. Um, I'd like you to maybe share with some folks that might not have heard your story, despite your rock star status, uh, of how you transitioned from university research uh, to where you are now. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one of the things that's always held true for me is that I've always been a big nerd when it comes to science, right? So I've, my mom is a, is a medical doctor. My dad uh, was a microelectronics engineer. Um, so math and science was a natural part of my world. And, and I always uh, fostered a really good creativity around the scientific world around me. So I knew I wanted to go into science. Um, and when I chose to go into microbiology and I got into that space, started going down the research academic track of microbiology, it was a very fascinating world to be in. But one of my aspects of, of how I function is I tend to be a big thinker. You know, I'm a megalomaniacal thinker and people who are really good at the university level research are very good on focusing on minute things and they, they will focus on a single protein for their entire career, mm -hmm. right? Or they'll focus on a single aspect of a cell for the entire career and they'll do dozens and dozens of studies on that and publish and every study raises more questions. And so even though I had the interest at, in that fashion, I knew that my ability to impact lives would be completely stifled if I stayed on that track. And so what I wanted to do is what they term now bridging the translational gap, right? So for your audience, what in the world does that mean? Well, when you look at the research world, there's really two main big areas of research going on. One is university level research. So that's institutional research. And then number two is, is company funded research that's going on at clinical research organizations and internally within companies and so on. Right. University research is really academically curiosity based research, right? It's about um, trying to answer some questions uh, and typically on a minute level. And then because once you answer those questions, it actually brings about more questions. And then you have to go deeper into that mechanism or that science and you continue to do that for your entire career. Now, how much of that work, that hardcore research work actually translates to impacting someone's lives that's walking down the street, that's where there's a massive gap, right? So what we tend to find in the biotech scientific health industry is that there is so much academic research going on, so much money going into academic research, but very little of it is being translated into products and, and, um, and you know, processes and protocols that actually help people, that actually impacts their lives. So bridging that translational gap is that whole view. So my thinking was, okay, I'm already getting my feet wet in university research, but I really, at the end of the day, want to take some of the nuggets out of this research and translate it to things that are tangible for people into products and uh, protocols and so on that impact their lives. So one of the first ways I did that was I formed a clinical research organization, uh, which is a contract research firm where you can do clinical studies on behalf of companies. So companies would then 
pay me to study nutrients in various capacities. For example, I did a vitamin D study on blood pressure, you know, those kind of things. So, mm-hmm. um, and my whole focus was because these are nutritional companies, they tend to be smaller than the big pharma companies. They cannot afford pharmaceutical-like research, which is how most clinical trials are designed. They're designed for these large-scale endpoints based on diseases. So I try to develop really clever ways of studying things so that we could do it at a lower cost, but understand what the effect of the compound is in the body, right? So I kind of, uh, in my view, pioneered some of that thinking and, and became uh, quite successful at that. I, I probably ended up designing, running, uh, conducting over 50 clinical trials through the right. clinical research organization and, um, and got my feet wet in the nutritional industry from that respect. And, um, and through that, I ended up working with a lot of nutritional industry, uh, companies as a consultant to help them develop products and think about the science of their products. So that was my big leap into the industry side of this thing. So bringing, bringing you know, all of the hardcore science you learn on that academic track and then bringing it to a point where you can actually translate it to something that impacts people. That so was application versus just curiosity from an intellectual standpoint. Totally. Uh, implementation versus just pure research of cause and effect. Uh, yeah. And then end user uh, being able to actually have a product uh, or recommend how somebody could improve their product uh, to get even better. Uh, early on, I know you had one of those things you studied uh, out of curiosity was the efficacy of some probiotics. Mm-hmm. You want to make some brief comments on that because that did kind of start to lead it on the path to uh, co-founding Microbiome Labs, I believe, right? Totally, yeah. I mean, one of the projects we ended up with was uh, a large multinational company, and I can't say who because we're still under, the NDAs still last forever. Right. Uh, but a large multinational company kind of hired our group and, and the, the, uh, sci- the group of scientists we were working with um, to study the probiotic market and kind of come to them with a recommendation of what would be the next generation of probiotics. They were getting a lot of pressure in the marketplace from their competitors, so they wanted to take a deeper dive into how do we formulate the next best probiotic. You know, do we go 55 billion? Do we go 100 billion? Do we put 30 strains in it? What, what's the process? So I started studying the probiotic market in itself. And one of the first things I did, which is something that maybe a lot of your listeners can, can um, also, you know, reflect on is like I went into a health food store and I just started asking people, what are your best probiotics? And I wanted to see what they recommended. What were the claims people were mm-hmm. making? And, and nine out of 10 times, they would point me to the stuff in the refrigerator, right? They would say, that stuff in the refrigerator is the best quality probiotics. That's what we recommend you take. And then my question to them always has been, well, why is it in the refrigerator? You know, it's, 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 should, it's a capsule, right? It's mm-hmm. not like milk. It's not right. yogurt, right? Why, it's, it shouldn't spoil. Why is it in the refrigerator? And the response is always, because it has to be a live culture in order for it to be effective. And so you have to keep it refrigerated to keep the live culture stable. Then, of course, my follow-up question is, so if you keep it out of the refrigerator on your shelf, 70 degrees out here, it would die. And they said, yes. So when you buy it, quickly get it home, put it in your refrigerator. Then, of course, my next annoying question for them is, (laughs) if it can't survive at 70 degrees, what about 98.6 degrees in the body and going through a gastric system with the pH of 1.3, 1.4? How would it survive that if this wonderful room temperature is too harsh for it? And they never had an answer for that. So right away, it got me thinking like, okay, there may be something wrong with the narrative that's been building with the probiotic industry. 
sure enough, one of the things we did for that company is we took 40 of the top probiotic products off the market. We got them from the internet, from store shelves, and then we put them all through uh, USB, which is US Pharmacopoeia standard gastric simulation. So it simulates going through the gastric system, the stomach. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, we found 98% of the probiotic cells were obliterated going through the stomach. Right. You know, whatever was alive in the bottle or in the capsule is now completely dead. And so right away, we started thinking, wow, okay, so most of what's being sold out there, especially the stuff that they're taking all this painstaking uh, effort to keep it refrigerated and ship it refrigerated and put it in a refrigerator in the store and consumers are buying it and quickly running home and putting it in the refrigerator and all of that is for nothing. You right. know, because the moment you swallow it, it's going to hit your gastric system and it's getting obliterated, right? So that just was to me, it was like, wow, there's a lot of probable nonsense in this messaging, you yeah. know? Yeah. And, and, and then when I started asking companies or people about what is the rationale be behind 50 billion? Like, how'd you come up with that dose? You know, is there a study that shows that, okay, 50 billion had this effect and maybe 25 had less, or maybe there's a dose response curve? Uh, or even a study that shows at this dose, you get this effect, there was nothing, you know? So it, it was really a marketing game for the companies yeah. that were involved, right? It's like my competitor has 50 billion, so I want to be at 75 because that makes it seem like a better product. And then they just kept going up and up and up and up all the way till you get to four or 500 billion. Um, so those were some of the, the problematic things we discovered in the probiotic industry. Interesting. And how, how many years ago was that again? So that would have been uh, probably around 2010, 2009, 2010. It, it's amazing, you know, even for the average consumer out there, and I even think for the average practitioner that, that thinks they're an expert in this area, which the dearth of information, that everything, everything we find out leads to another question right now with some of the yeah. research that's going on. You're realizing that with the 16 studies that you've got going on. But there's still a lot of misinformation. I... I uh, Somebody sent me a, uh, a uh, video podcast of a pretty well-known practitioner that interviews a lot of people that are pretty key in the industry, in various parts of the functional medicine industry. And even she was still espousing that it's all about the amount, you know, how many billion versus talking about what specific strains or the delivery mechanism. You want to make yeah. a brief comment on that? Because uh, I, I do think that confuses a lot of people uh, out there. It does, because, because when it comes to bacteria, you know, we're, we're looking for a specific function out of those microbes. And part of the, the fault in this is we kind of lump all probiotics together, right? So these are all probiotics, or those are all probiotics. Well, they all have very specific functions. It's, it's, like, it's like saying all vitamins are the same, right? Vitamin A, vitamin uh, K2, vitamin D, they're all the same. So it doesn't matter which one you take, as long as you take a lot of any one of them, you know, that it just, it doesn't make sense. They're all very specific in how they function and what they do in the body. And so this quantitative idea of probiotic means just take a whole bunch of bacteria. It doesn't matter how many different kinds there are, what they are, but it's the amount that matters. That is a real dysfunctional idea in the industry um, because there's no science to support that. There's zero science that shows that 50 billion of this mix of random bacteria is more powerful, more efficacious than 10 billion. You know? and, and in fact, in large part, most of these really elaborate mixes of, of bacteria have found to be ineffective and, and could be competitive to one another. Um, so more thought is required 
you know, to, to really creating a probiotic and then, and then understanding what the target function is. You know, what do we need that bacteria to do? Um, and by that, we figure out which bacteria to put in and at what dose. Yeah, for sure. And you and I are going to talk in a subsequent series that's going to be coming out that, we're, that you and your team and I are working on. Uh, and we're going to talk about very specific strains and pathophysiology and corrective measures that can be taken to target specific cardiometabolic uh, types of uh, situations that we're plagued by throughout the world. I would like to say the states, but we know that since our diet spread throughout the world, and the way we treat the soil and the way we treat a lot of things is spread throughout the world from America. Uh, a lot of people are kind of in the same boat there. So slight teaser for what we're going to be doing in the future. Yep. We won't dive down that rabbit hole uh, today just to kind of stay uh, on message. You know, what keeps you passionate about what you're doing? You've been doing it for a while now. Uh, I know you are a very high energy, very passionate guy about what you're doing. Uh, maybe you can talk about what's got you passionate about what you and Microbiome Labs are doing, some of the research, at least to the level of stuff that you can disclose uh, publicly right now. And then maybe yeah. talk about some of the things you are working on, because there's some pretty exciting stuff based on the opening comments that I made uh, that you guys have going on right now. Yeah. So in a general sense, in the big principle idea, one of the, the key principle ideas that keeps me excited and waking up every morning wanting to do more and more of what we do is that the, the idea that microbes are really the key to a lot of the problems that we face today, a lot of our health problems, certainly, you know, and, and that comes from being trained in microbiology. That's been a, a huge blessing to me because um, being trained in microbiology, I've, I've understood at the very cellular level, the function of bacteria with respect to the function of our own cells, right? We are in fact made up of bacteria um, in many ways, right? Our own cells the function with mitochondria and mitochondria are ancient pleiotropic bacteria Absolutely. that basically got consumed by an archaea, right? The human cell is an archaea consuming a bacteria, a bacteria and forming this new unique structure that's a human cell. Now, that aside, over three times, two to three times cell, the number of cells of human cells that we have in our system is, is uh, outnumbered by microbial cells, right? So we right. have far more microbial work going on in our system than human work. Uh, we have 150 times or even more um, microbial genetics, bacterial genetics in our system than we have human genes. You know, so just all, everything about that concept goes, okay, microbes are running the show. And if microbes are running the show, then how do we make discoveries that allow us to alter the microbial landscape to improve our outcomes, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and let me give you one example of how profound that can be in, in just a simple way. Um, let's take prediabetes and diabetes as, as, two, as conditions. Um, and let's look at it in today's landscape, right? Take COVID, for example. We know from all of the data that's coming out that if you have diabetes, your mortality rate for COVID is 10 times higher than a non-diabetic, right? Diabetes is one of those comorbidities that dramatically increases your risk for having a really poor outcome with this disease, right? You're someone who's relatively healthy, who has no diabetes, they will get it. In many cases, they don't even know they have it. And then the immune system takes care of it and it's gone. So a diabetic who's 35 years old and a, and a non-diabetic who's relatively healthy at 35 years old, both get exposed to the same virus. This diabetic has a 10 time higher risk of dying from that same thing. So take how important that message is in today's context. What causes diabetes? What is the biggest driver of diabetes? According to 
studies from the American Diabetic Association, the NIH, and other big associations, the biggest driver of diabetes and the development of diabetes is leaky gut and the lack of presence of a couple of keystone strains in your gut, acromantium eosinophila being one of them, right? Mm -hmm. And leaky gut comes from a dysfunctional microbiome. So there was a big study called the Cordioprev study that looked at 460 individuals. They followed them for 60 months. These were all high-risk uh, pre-diabetic people, and they were looking at all kinds of measures to figure out what was the best predictor of them developing diabetes from that early stage pre-diabetes. There was only one thing that was, pre that was predictive, uh, and that was uh, leakiness in the gut. Um, and that leakiness in the gut is derived from dysfunction in your gut microbiome, right? right? So a lot of people just walking around today in today's context are at much higher risk for having a hard go with this particular virus because of their dysfunctional microbiome. And also, there are four times as many pre-diabetics in the world today as there are diabetics. Yep. When you become diabetic, it dramatically increases your risk for all kinds of other diseases, right? Dementia, the risk is more than double. Heart disease, it's like four times higher. Um, cancers, all of these other chronic illnesses, your risk go way up if you're diabetic. And all the while, this diabetes is being driven by a dysfunctional microbiome and ecosystem, right? So yeah. it just kind of brings about this notion that, wow, if we can just fix that ecosystem, you know, we can fix the microbes that are dysfunctional in the system. It could re dramatically reduce the number of people that develop diabetes, which will dramatically reduce the number of people that develop all these other chronic illnesses. And it wouldn't create this pandemic of a situation with the chronic illness that we see today. Yeah, I, I completely believe you're preaching to the choir here uh, from my standpoint, because uh, so many people don't see the direct connection of you know, and, and we said we weren't going to go down the path, the path of physiological rabbit hole. We might have to a little bit to explain yeah. leaky gut to some people that don't know as quickly as we possibly can. But, you know, the direct connection to gut health, chronic long-term inflammation, dysbiosis, leaky gut, chronic diseases and conditions with a pathway of entree, most often being uh, some sort of dysregulation of sugar metabolism and insulin, insulin synthesis or lack thereof as we go further down that path or any cardiometabolic pathway. And then once the scale is tipped, uh, it's much harder when somebody comes finally to somebody like me and says, I'm on my second or third medication. What should I do? How's the best way to take corrective measure? In the traditional allopathic sense, of course, it's give insulin. Uh, it's, it's, that pushes people further down that pathway. And all the time, and this is, I'm, I'm making this point on purpose for folks that are listening, all the time, the hell storm that's been going on in their gut has not been addressed. Exactly. In fact, it's exacerbated by a lot of those other treatments. So mm -hmm. there we finally have the, the constant, you know, the spinning out of control uh, that comes into play. So, so I think you it's know, a key and, point to discuss that. Yeah, and absolutely. Mm -hmm. and, the, and, the, and the key thing, one of the key things you just said is that because all, all throughout that treatment process, they're not actually addressing the root cause, which is a, the issue going on in the gut, right? And, and as it turns out, the same kind of issues in the gut, in, in the dysbiosis, that the term we use for showing a dysfunctional microbiome, uh, the same issues drive other conditions. They drive reflux disease. They, they derive anxiety and depression. They drive neuropathy. So that diabetic person that's now being kind of uh, treated for the, the symptoms of diabetes, if you will, or the, the me mechanics of diabetes, 
that dysfunction in the gut, the root cause is still there driving other risk factors. Yeah. You know, that's why the CDC data shows that um, six out of 10 Americans have at least one chronic illness and four out of 10 Americans have multiple chronic illnesses um, yeah. because the root cause is really boils down to the dysfunction in their microbiome and we're not addressing that. So that's part of what makes me excited to go back to actually yeah. answering oh, yeah, your yeah. question. I was going to bring you there. <laughs> yeah, that, you know, to me, it's, it's so powerful. We, when we set up the company Microbiome Labs, one of our visions that we put up is making vibrant health accessible to all, right? And we, we absolutely believe in that and that we strive for that. And to me, the way you achieve that is not through bandaging all of these different ailments that, that, that pop up over time. It's about really digging into the root cause and, and addressing it at the root. And more often than not, the root becomes the microbiome. For and sure. I get so excited about the idea of possibly solving really big problems like diabetes, for example, through, my, through the microbiome, which would be a simple, affordable, no risk solution. You know, and, and we're doing studies in that respect. Yeah, it's, it's a huge thing. Um, and it ties back, you know, the microbiome of Mother Earth in the soil mm -hmm. ties back to that, uh, you know, I didn't ask you to do your 30 second or less definition of what leaky gut is. You can do that in, in kind of response to this next question, but do you want to talk a little bit about the tie in of maybe quickly define leaky gut? Uh, what is one of, what are a couple of the bigger causes uh, that are out there that are, that are common things that maybe people could even avoid possibly uh, or yeah. at least be aware of. Uh, and then you guys are doing some work kind of connected loosely to what I'm getting at as well. So Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, a leaky gut for your audience is, is exactly as it sounds. The intestinal lining of your digestive tract is leaky in the sense that there's a lot of non-specific translocation of things from the tube in your digestive tract, which is called the lumen, uh, into the circulation. So when things, when something goes through the intestinal lining, it's now entering in your circulation. And, and in fact, in physiological sense, when you swallow something and it's going through your digestive tract, it's still considered to be outside of your body, right? Because your digestive tract is a tube that's open on both ends and things are supposed to pass right through. Um, certain things are supposed to make their way across the lining into the circulation and be utilized by a body. That's when we define it as actually entering the body. When your gut is leaky, those barrier systems that are in place to not allow things like toxins and bacterial byproducts and viruses and all that stuff and leaking into your cir circulation, those barriers are dysfunctional and they're not functioning. And as, it, and as it turns out, most of those barriers are controlled by the microbes that live in your gut. So the moment the microbes in your gut go off kilter, the population of bacteria, then your gut starts becoming leaky and then you're now on this path for chronic illness. Right. So uh, and then going back to the to the Mother Earth uh, scenario, what's really important to note is I think we, we touched on earlier how we are really a microbial construct. Right. As a human being, we are more microbe than we are human in the way we think of human. And where did all of those microbes come from? Right. We have a really uh, important kind of uh, osmo, um, os osmosis type of response with the world around us. Right? We are picking up bacteria from the environment all the time, and some of our bacteria are being put back in the environment. And part of how we have evolved was to be able to pick up microbes from our environment that then help us better adapt to the environment that we live in. 
And, and that interchange between the microbes in our environment and the microbes that, that inhabit our system is really a critical way of not only balancing our metabolic and physiological functions, but it also helps train and equip our immune system because our immune system needs constant tutoring of what is bad and what is good and how do we attack something that should be attacked and how do we tolerate all the other microbes that are in the system and not attack them. And so that osmosis is really important. Now, what has happened, because we don't understand this and appreciate this concept, we have basically polluted our environments of microbes, right? We've, we have uh, you know, dusted all our crops with Roundup, for example, that is a really powerful antibacterial. And it's an antibacterial of the worst kind because it doesn't just kill bacteria, it specifically kills good bacteria. It's a type of antibacterial that actually allows the growth and overgrowth of dysfunctional pathogenic bacteria, yeah. right? So we have chlorinated our drinking water. We've removed all of the, 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 the potentially beneficial solids and mineralization, and we've put chlorine and fluoride in there. Those things can act as antimicrobials in our system. All of our personal care products have all of these antibacterial, antifungals in them. You know, our homes are relatively sterile homes. We Clorox everything as our mindset of being clean, uh, you know, makes us feel like that means sterile, right? Clean means sterile. And so we, and we spend 80 plus percent of our time indoors in these relatively sterile environments. Um, so we have completely... Um, cut off our open and uh, an important relationship with the natural microbes in the natural world. Now, another source of natural microbes is supposed to be from our diet, right? Our ancestors ate off the land. They dug for roots and tubers. They killed something and then they would eat it right there for the most part. They would fish in the rivers and streams and eat that. They would drink water from the rivers and streams. All of those things uh, were teeming with bacteria and other microbes. And they were getting this huge dose of these microbes every day. The food we buy today, every piece of produce we buy has been put through a chlorine wash, mm -hmm. you know, at some point during the process, right? Although the packaged food we buy are sterilized and retorted, and then they put preservatives and all that in there. So it's dead food. There's no living mechanism in these food. And then the soil that we're growing our food in is completely dead soil. Right. Um, there, there are books and studies out there that show that the broccoli you can buy today has a fraction of the nutritional content of the broccoli you might have bought 30 or 40 years ago. And that's because the soil is so depleted of microbes that the plants cannot assimilate the, the, the nutrients from the ground into itself. Right. So the plants are effectively sick in a way the way we are sick because our guts are messed up. The plant roots which is the gut of the plant is messed up equally. Yep. You know, so it, it, we've really, because we don't have this view of ourselves as being a microbial construct, we have taken ourselves and inevitably put ourselves in an antimicrobial world, yep. right? So you can say it another way. You could say that we've created an anti-human environment for us humans to exist in. Yeah, I mean, the fact is we are symbiotes. Um, <laughs> and if we are going to take care of ourselves, we need to take care of the microbiome that surrounds us and that inhabits us. And we need to start having that not just be a thing like geeks like us get, get excited to talk about. It needs to be something that, that people can understand enough of uh, to know that there are things they can do. There's things that you guys are doing as a company with things you've already developed and things you're developing and working on now. Um, there's other things that people can do, and I'm talking both to practitioners or clinicians uh, as well as individuals 
uh, things that they can do to, because we, we painted a very dismal picture, right? <laughs> we basically exactly. said that we've, we've strafed the land, we've strafed our microbiota inside us, and we're doomed. Uh, but you and I are here to say that that's actually not the case. So let, let's talk, uh, let's have you make some comments uh, as we start to wrap things up, because I know you're tight schedule-wise uh, behind things. Let's talk about what uh, practitioners should understand most of what they can do with patients. If a practitioner is reached right now that hasn't heard this message, uh, I hope they're listening and, and taking notes. Let's talk about what they should be thinking about maybe with a patient. And then let's talk about what an individual can do. And, uh, and then maybe I'll wrap that up based on some comments that you say with, with maybe what people can do to improve things on their own uh, from a diversity standpoint, et cetera, and maybe what things yeah. they can be trying to avoid. Because it's hard. We can't wrap ourselves in a, in a plastic bubble. No. Uh, you know, that, that, although I, I think policy is dictated that's what we're supposed to be doing right now. <laughs> right. But uh, let's have you go in, maybe talk a little about practitioners, talk about a little bit yeah. what individuals can do. Let's talk about what you guys can do to help people and what some of the products that you have. Uh, I'm okay yeah. with talking about that. I, I'm, I'm fine with you talking specifically about products and how that can enhance people. Uh, sure. How do you take those questions? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think one, one theme that's really important here for everyone to note is, um, you know, because we're talking about so many of the um, physiological dysfunctions that we have and the, and the disease risk that we have come from dysfunctions in our microbial ecosystem, uh, the good news about that is because it's an ecosystem, we can change it. You know, just like if your garden is messed up outside and, it, and you've let it go and it's, it's contaminated and the plants are dying and weeds are growing, you can go back into the garden and fix it and change that ecosystem, right? If all of our disease were associated with genetic deficiencies, there's nothing we can do to change our genetics. And so that, so that was the idea of disease. Um, predominating the modern area of uh, modern era of, of um, medical research. Now we're coming to this point where we understand that ecosystems play a big role, and that is super exciting and promising because we can change ecosystems. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about some of the characteristics of a healthy microbiome that can go a long way in in improving somebody's outcomes, whether they're fighting something specific or they're trying to prevent something specific. Right, so. Um, one of the things that, that we know from, from a number of studies, in fact, Nature just published another uh, meta-analysis of this, um, is diversity in the gut microbiome is absolutely paramount to health. There are studies that show that the diversity of your gut microbiome will dictate how long you live as, when it comes to disease states. Absolutely, yeah. um, you know, and diversity, we're talking about what we call alpha diversity, and that is how many different functional species do you have in your gut microbiome, right? And functional is a, is a key term because you may have lots of different species in your microbiome, but because it's severe imbalance, there may be 20% of those bacteria that are at such low numbers that they're not really producing any function. Mm -hmm. So how many functional species is really critical? We'll talk about how you can do that, how you can improve that. The other thing is, what are your level of keystone strains? Now, in the microbiome, we've identified certain number of strains that are, that are termed keystone species because they perform such critical uh, jobs in not only maintaining the rest of the microbiome, but in protecting us from a number of disease pathologies. One of the ones uh, we've talked about is, uh, and I've talked about a lot, is Acromantia mucinophila. It's this really important keystone strains when it's present at adequate levels, completely protects the individual against 
all kinds of conditions under the metabolic syndromes, syndrome spectrum, right? So this one species in the gut is inversely related to the development of things like obesity, heart disease, diabetes, dementia, and so on, right? It protects against all of those conditions. Then you have other keystone species like Fecalum bacteria prosnitsi. Fecalum bacteria prosnitsi is incredibly protective on inflammatory conditions in the bowel, things like Crohn's, colitis, um, you know, colorectal cancer, and so on. There's all of these studies that show that people with IBD, which encompasses a lot of those conditions, have very low levels of Fecalum bacteria prosnitsi compared to people of the same age and same health overall who don't have IBD. So Fecalum bacteria is one of those protective organisms. So how do you increase the growth of your keystone strains? So diversity in keystone strains. Then the next part is how do you improve certain postbiotic production? So postbiotics being things like short chain fatty acids, like butyrate, propionate, acetate, uh, you know, urolithins, uh, ubiquinols or quinols, all of these really important compounds that your microbiome is supposed to be producing for you that are absolutely critical for your overall health and function. How do you get more of that being produced, right? So, and then the last thing and the, and the really, really important thing is how do you seal that leaky gut? We cannot have the gut continuously being permeable and leaky, things leaking through into circulation non-specifically. That leads you, that sets you up for something called chronic low-grade inflammation. And chronic low-grade inflammation is at the foundation of most chronic illnesses. So we can focus on just those four things, <laughs> diversity, keystone strains, um, uh, uh, postbiotics, and then leaky gut. If, you, if we have solutions to just those four things, uh, we would really make a huge impact on people's health and wellness, right? So we could do it at the practitioner level. Well, should we start there? Sure. Yeah. Let's okay. So I think the key at the practitioner level is understanding that um, the moment someone walks in your door, and depending on what they're struggling with, you already have tools at the ready, right? If they walk in and they're struggling with sig significant allergies, for example, you've got things that are, you're ready to go. If you're an allopathic doctor who, pre who predominantly practices allopathic, you might go, okay, use this leukotriene inhibitor or this antihistamine, or Claritin or Allegra or something like that to ma manage the symptoms. You might give them a nasal spray depending on how much inflammation they have in their in their nose. Um, you might recommend a, a sinus wash. You know, you you'll give them some recommendations there. If you're a natural medicine practitioner, you might look at things like glutathione intake. You might look at um, uh, immune modulatory, um, you know, uh, compounds, herbs, and things like that. Um, you might have them utilize things that bring uh, utilize compounds that bring down the inflammatory IgE response. And there's a number of things that, that you have at your, at your disposal. But I think the key thing to keep remembering is the likely um, driver of this condition of theirs is the gut dysfunctional gut microbiome, right? Under most of the conditions that someone walks into the, to the clinic with, the basement therapy should be starting to address those four components of the, of the microbiome mm -hmm. um, and the four components that we just talked about. Once you start addressing that, then all of the other things you do, all the other therapies you do will actually be even more effective because you're removing the root cause driver of their condition. And I do a whole talk, uh, and, I, and I think Bernard, you've seen this talk about total gut restoration, where I go through and show this meta-analysis papers that describe all of these seemingly unrelated uh, medical conditions all being driven by the same exact dysfunction in the gut. Yeah. You know, something as different as 
reflux disease compared to depression. You know, you might think that your, your patient that's coming in with real severe reflux, there's no connection between that next patient that comes in that's dealing with depression, right? Uh, what does reflux and depression have to do with each other? Well, they both stem from the same dysfunction in the gut. The same four things that you can fix uh, will have a huge impact on both of those seemingly unrelated conditions. Yeah, I, I think it's important for practitioners to get this down because, you know, uh, one of the things I've done is founded the Functional Medicine Society of Utah here. And when we talk to some practitioners, uh, you know, honestly, you get the pushback of, I'm not a functional medicine guy or I'm not a functional medicine gal. And, and, and that frustrates me to no end mm -hmm. because, you know, in natural medicine, one of the first things in naturopathic medicine, one of the first things you learn is to not cover things up or ameliorate them, uh, which means to cover up the symptom because you usually are going to make the underlying condition worse over time. Yeah. And we've already hit on that with the example we talked about diabetes. But for most of these people, if they just said, I can still take this approach of treating the gut. Uh, we can do things with food first. We can do things with avoidance of certain mm -hmm. things that might exacerbate or be causal of the condition. And we certainly can have some very simple protocols. Uh, I know Microbiome Labs has a protocol that uh, practitioners that are exposed to this at least use, but it's a total gut restore program and it's three component pieces. You want to hit on those just real quick? Yeah, yeah. And and in fact, the, the, the pieces of this kind of follow some of the other natural... Um, almost no cost things you can do that, that will enhance the effect of it, right? So the first part of it is uh, we call restoring the microbiome and, um, uh, re sorry, uh, reconditioning the microbiome because what we need to do is get your microbiome to look different. We need more of those keystone strains. We need more diversity. When we have more diversity and more keystone strains, you're already on the path to making reversals in the pathophysiology that leads to these conditions. One of the ways we do it is through the, our, our probiotic product called Megaspore. Mm -hmm. we, we have studies that show that when you, when you intake uh, Megaspore, it increases the diversity within, within your microbiome and increases the growth of the keystone strains. So you start changing your microbiome in a positive way. Right. Now the next step is to reinforce those changes so those changes are more stable and they're not tenuous in that exposure to something like, let's say you have to take a course of antibiotics or you get exposed to a bunch of Roundup at a restaurant that you go eat, eat in, it doesn't dismantle the whole structure, right? Mm -hmm. So the idea is that let's reinforce those positive changes. And one of the best ways to do that is by using certain types of precision prebiotics, right. oligosaccharides that specifically feed these keystone strains and have been shown to increase diversity. So when you put that, that uh, recondition and reinforce stage together, then what you're really doing is changing the nature of the microbiome. Mm -hmm. Now that you've got these better supportive uh, strains within your system, then you provide the microbiome with tools to be able to fix the gut lining and bring down the inflammation that occurs in that gut lining. For that, we use um, supplemental polyphenols, which are really important. We use four key amino acids that rebuild the mucin layer. And then the last part is we use these immunoglobulins that have been shown to actually reduce the inflammatory response in that mucosa and increase the rebuilding of the, of the barrier structures in the gut. So we do that through, the, through a, um, a series of products in three steps. Now, some of the things you can do, uh, obviously to, you should do to enhance that effect is making the dietary changes, right? Of course, 
if you can eliminate or remove foods that have preservatives and all that in, in, uh, in them, which is basically packaged foods, mm -hmm. then you're, going, uh, you're, you're making a huge stride towards reducing your microbiome's exposure to all of those antimicrobials. Um, you, know, you transition yourself towards organic food as much as you can because organic food doesn't use the Roundup and glyphosate uh, that non-organic food uses. And remember, that is one of those really potent antibiotics. Um, you also want to start increasing the diversity of your diet to some degree. You want to start in adding in new foods into your diet so that you feed a larger population of bacteria and you'll gain a more diverse population of bacteria through that. Uh, a simple thing that I love is also adding in fasting. Fasting, actually, believe it or not, is counterintuitive, but it increases the diversity of your microbiome. And fasting actually triggers all of these really important housekeeping bacteria that do a job of going through and cleaning up your system while no food is coming through. Remember, your digestive tract gets overwhelmed when food enters and it has to go through the digestive process. That, you know, we all know that from, from big dinners and big uh, Thanksgiving meals, all the blood basically rushes to your gut and you get really tired and sleepy. Um, the same thing occurs with the microbes. When food enters the system, the microbes are very busy and the housekeeping microbes are not really functioning, right? Because all of the digestive microbes, the secondary, the primary digesters, they're all going to overtime work right now. So then when there's finally a stop to the food and there's a given amount of time where food's not coming through, then the housekeeping repairing microbes jump up and they start cleaning up the system. So you need that stage of, of rest and repair uh, as much as you need the stage of feeding the system, right? So that is a part that's overlooked a lot for a lot of people. Um, and then, you know, ultimately another thing you could do, um, you know, the three-step total gut restoration I talked about addresses most of these conditions and the spores uh, actually stop the leakiness in the gut. We've got publications on the spores stopping the leakiness in the gut. But one more thing you can do that I think is, is um, not, not really appreciated as much from, certainly from the consumer side, is stress management. You know, there's a big study that shows in frontiers of immunology how stress is one of the biggest drivers of chronic um, leakiness in the gut, right? That chronic leakiness in the gut, um, it, again, it becomes the foundation of a lot of disease processes. And stress, the reason why it does that is stress when your body releases epinephrine, norepinephrine, it actually increases the growth of pathogenic organisms in the system. Those organisms then start producing more toxins. And those organisms and their toxins make the gut more leaky, make, it, make your system more inflamed. So it becomes really important to work on your stress management. Um, you know, that becomes a really important focus. So if you can do the dietary changes, if you can look at changing your personal care product choices to try to go as natural as you can, improving your diet by increasing diversity, going more towards organic, less packaged foods. Um, if you can manage your stress, if you can add in a little bit of fasting, um, and then you do something like the total gut restoration, just that combination alone is hugely powerful for overall constitutional change when it comes to the microbiome. Absolutely. And, and you know, you're, you're, you're hitting it spot on because when we coach uh, either other practitioners or individuals that come to us. Uh, the stuff that I've written about and spoken about, uh, we break everything down kind of in how to, have, how to go from being a human being to being a well-being or, or how to go from having a haphazard lifestyle to an on-purpose uh, health style. I, I try to break everything down very it's simple to people is that if we can manage, teach you how to manage your mindset and teach you how to manage your environment, and we 
I, I can, I can through the, the complex theory of my relativity, I can break everything down to those things for people. It gets easier for them to manage and get their, get their head around. Uh, and, and we talk about stress resiliency and what, how it, it impacts and what our perception is of what we're going through. But as goes stress with a human, goes stress with our microbiome, goes stress at a cellular level, goes stress at a tissue level, goes stress at an organ fa failure level, and then just systems biology get all off kilter. And there you go, we have pretty much the functional medicine root cause of every disease state that a human could be exposed to, along with how they experience their environment. And the environment is the ground we walk on uh, that may be exposed to chemicals. It's the food we ingest that could be devoid of the nutrients that we need, or they could be laden with glyphosate and other things. There's a few other things too that for people listening in, you know, even it amazes me that even in today's day and age, clinicians are, are over prescribing antibiotics. Yeah. But every time you get prescribed an antibiotic, it carpet bombs your system again. And you almost have to go into rebuild again. And, and for women, we're not just talking about the gut microbiome. We're talking about the vaginal microbiome. We can mm -hmm. be talking about the oral microbiome. Uh, and we could go on uh, with that. Uh, avoiding the, you know, you, you walk in one of these big box stores and go over where the big pharmacy is. And I won't name the name of the store, but it's the biggest big box store. And, and I like to do it every once in a while just to kind of see what's going on with the world because I don't go in those types of places typically. But you just see aisles full of painkillers, over-the-counter mm -hmm. painkillers, ibuprofen in particular. Uh, and these things, if people would just get their, get their brain around that and realizing the cause for GERD is not oftentimes too much acid, it's too little acid, and it's actually the genesis is further downstream in your gut. Uh, yep. Karan kind of talked about that. Um, any other closing remarks? I want to be mindful of your time because I know you've got another meeting coming up. Uh, anything else you think? You, you, you wrap those two things together from a practitioner and a, uh, uh, an individual standpoint. Anything else you want to point out uh, or any other last comments you want to make to kind of wrap things together, Karan? You know, yeah, one, one, of the, one of the points I always try to, uh, try to put in and anytime I, I get a chance to do an interview is just to, to show people that there's a lot of hope right? Uh, one, of the, one of the things we all battle with is, is this, this idea of the absence of hope. And that's, that's really the definition of depression. We know sure. that anxiety and depression is so prevalent in our world today. Of course, considering the state of the world, none of that helps us. It puts us further, deeper into that state. Um, and, and a lot of the absence of hope comes from like health matters too. You know, if, if you've been diagnosed with something or you've got a risk for something and you've got uh, you know, a parent that's going through um, Alzheimer's right now, and you're thinking, oh my God, I have risk for Alzheimer's. You know, all of those things drive this absence of hope. What's really exciting about the time we live in right now is that we're getting a much better understanding of where disease comes from and how we function as a human being. And more and more of that is coming back to this ecosystem, this microbiome. And when the ecosystem is off, that's what sets us on the path of disease, which means that most of the conditions out there are reversible, or at least we can certainly make big strides in, in improving the outcomes of those conditions. So we live in a very exciting time where things like Alzheimer's that doesn't currently have a treatment and is a very scary condition and it affects millions of people every year. Alzheimer's may have a simple probiotic solution a few years down the road, you know, mm -hmm. and that's so exciting to think about that we can make these kind of um, medical strides as we come to understand our microbiome. In the meantime, everyone has the power within them 
to, to control their own destiny to a certain degree by, by making the choices of what you put in, on, and around you, right? Remember, everything that goes in, on, and around you affects your ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And the more you can impact your ecosystems in a positive way, the more your outcomes are going to be favored in a, in a positive way. So you have the power, you know, it's not outside of your control. Um, and there's a lot of hope that we will have great solutions for the vast majority of diseases. And even today, we already have solutions for things we thought were incurable. It, it's a, a great way to wrap it up. And, you know, you and I in a future uh, series that we're putting together are going to be talking about uh, the, the pathophysiology of many disease states as we move through from, you know, a, a fetus in utero to adult getting ready to produce another child. And we'll be talking about those various things. And there is a lot of hope and there's a lot that can be done. Uh, I also know a lot of people are living in fear. Uh, It doesn't help that the information that's been coming out uh, via uh, the news outlets and the internet and and even even some so-called experts that are kind of out there really, they're they're almost throwing water on the hope that people should have because the information that's that's being spewed out there is inaccurate. But the fact is, just taking care of gut health, and if you listen to everything that, that Karan and I spoke about today, uh, I'm not saying it's a cure for COVID-19, so don't, don't anyone misstate that and no. think that's what I'm saying. But I can tell you that uh, if your immune system isn't on tweak all the time, isn't on high overload, and you're not experiencing some of these things, if you are healthier and not going down one of these disease state pathways that we, that we mentioned tied into this, you're going to have a much better chance and it is things you can do right now. So if you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, boy, I've gotten that talk from my doctor now the second or third time, you can do something about it. So you can start with solutions that we talked about. You can start to talk to somebody that understands how to get you to incrementally shift your mindset that you have about these things and your exposure that you're creating to, to yourself through your entire environment, which is what Ron was kind of surmising. And there are things that you can do right now and understand that we can have pretty immediate effect with our microbiome in particular. When we do some tests and have people change their diet and have people change and, and go down the path of some of these corrective systems like Quran uh, outlined, we know when we actually do sample tests, we can see that the microbiome is very responsive, like in a matter of hours and days. So there is hope. We, we can't have cause and effect on this. And people should uh, know that they don't need to be victims, that they can actually do something about this. Um, I want to thank Quran for being here today. Yeah, it's my uh, pleasure. It's teaser conversation for us with what we have with the big things to come starting in the next month or so that we're going to be starting to put together with your team. Um, I know your time is valuable, and uh, I think people will get something out of this that they can hopefully implement today because that's really what we want to do is get people to take action, not just take a bunch of notes. This has been the Human Being to Wellbeing Show with Dr. Bernard J. Fragamini. Make sure you check us out on all of our social media platforms so you can stay in touch and in tune with everything that we're bringing you around health style, transformation, natural medicine, functional nutrition, nutritional psychology, and the whole gamut that's going to make you live forever as a well-being. Go out and make this day the best day you've ever had because it's the one that we've got. Remember, folks, with the information contained herein, this is for informational and educational purposes only. This does not constitute a patient-doctor relationship. Moreover, I am not a clinical practicing physician, so if you're going to make changes, consult with your primary care physician. Take care in implementing changes. If you want more information on myself, go to nomoredietbackslashabout.com.
Go out and make this a great day.